If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. It's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Distract sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found the spot. I'm talking to the spot to the sand. Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 62. This is the TOS, the original series episode. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my best Star Trek buddy, Scott Gardner. Hey, you know. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? My brain hurts. <laughs> no, this isn't, this isn't Spock's brain. We already covered that one. No, this is a presidential size oh, episode. God, I love this one. Oh, you know what? I'm going to have to send you... I'll send you um, somewhere I have, like, Hail to the Chief and, and some good uh, some good presidential marches and waltz, I, waltzes. That I, I still got to. Hail to the Chief from last episode because <laughs> played it when, when we announced this one. But, yeah... 
Oh my god. You know what? I, I man, I I hope that I can find some time this week. Because if I can find some time this week, you know what I would love to do is is make up like a like a TV show theme opener for that that buddy cop, you know, Lincoln and, and Genghis Khan buddy cop <laughs> show that I keep talking about. I would love to be able to actually create that. If I could possibly find the time, that would be fun. But we'll be talking. We'll be talking all about Lincoln and Genghis Khan in a, in a little bit here. Yeah, oddly enough, <laughs> it, it's not the first appearance of Lincoln and Genghis Khan and Two True Freaks either. <laughs> in the same show. And but this is this is the one that definitely started that yes. that trend, though. Yes. Of, of wanting to see them together on screen. <laughs> <laughs> the oddest couple ever. <laughs> dun 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 dun. Um, what you got for preamble before we got, get into this thing? I got nothing, nothing um, original series going on this month. Besides, really? Uh, yeah. Besides, I've been I've been going through all my Star Trek and Star Wars books and and uh, sorting out doubles and and different printings and stuff. And I'm, it's turning out I've got quite a few Star Trek doubles, so I'm going to try to figure out some sort of contest or giveaway to clear out some of my Star Trek book. I, I got some of the good old original, you know, James Blish adaptations and stuff. I have doubles and triples of some of those. Well, you need to. We need to talk first before you uh, <laughs> right give before I go away to listeners. Away. To so, some of that stuff I might need. And as a yeah. matter of fact, I've got a little stack of stuff here. Ooh! And you were the first person I thought of for some of the doubles that I have on these. But uh, our good buddy uh, Dr. Bill Robinson from uh, Back to the Bins. You know, he and I got together not long ago and went to uh, MegaCon together. And while I was there, he uh, gave me some stuff and. One of the things he gave me was he, he had been listening to Star Trek Monthly Monday and he heard where uh, Biblio Mike Petit sent me some of those uh, Star Trek Unlimited comics. And I was yeah. so excited about it. And I kind of put the call out there to the listeners that, you know, I was looking for the other issues and everything. Well, Bill dropped this massive, massive stack of Star Trek comics. He's like, here, you can have these. I'm like, holy shit, dude, there's a ton of issues here. Uh, but I did get a few doubles, a few things that I already have. So I pulled these books aside and uh, at your convenience, Chris, listen back over this episode, this part of the episode and see if you actually need any of these. But I have um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is the Malibu Comics limited edition. This is the, the first issue. It has uh, trying to remember what they called these particular. This was back when they were doing all those gimmicky covers. It's, I think it's embossed is what it's, it's not like foil embossed or anything, but it's embossed. But it's a really nice cover on this one. I know I have this one. I, I, I know I don't have any Deep Space Nine comics. I might oh, okay. have a couple Voyager comics, but I'm pretty much, pretty much down to just start, you know, my Star Trek comics are mostly TOG and TNG. Right. Well, on the Star Trek Unlimited which is that anthology series. I now have doubles of issue one, eight, and nine. So if Ooh. you need any of those, give me a holler on those. I may have number one. I might have bought that when it came out, but those were really good, I remember. I, I have a few of those that I'd picked up, and I remember them being really, really well-written and fun. 
everything else here that Bill gave me all comes from the imprint when Marvel got the Star Trek license back. They called it uh, Marvel Presents Paramount Comics, but they were all different Star Trek titles. And he gave me just a huge stack here. So I've got uh, Deep Space Nine. I've got a whole bunch of issues. I've got 2, 9, 11, 12, 13, 14... Um, Star Trek The Early Voyages. Have you ever read any of these? I remember seeing them when they came out, but I've never read any of them. I would venture a guess that I think you would really like these because I know that you are an advocate for Captain Pike. Right. And, you, know, you, you frequently said that you would love with... So know, they're basically that. what I would have wanted the reboots to be, sort of. Yeah, it's it's really good stuff because it's taking place during Pike's... Uh, captaincy of the Enterprise and the characters are really engaging and the stories are really fun and there was a storyline right toward the end of the series where Pike actually came into Kirk's time which was really cool and there was a whole time travel thing and everything it was really good stuff unfortunately um, if there's one downside the downside is that the series ends on a cliffhanger because it was just unceremoniously canceled, so we never know how the story would actually re- uh, resolve. But it was a good little series, and uh, I've got a stack here. I've got just you know random issues. I've got 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 14, and 14 is the one where Pike and Kirk actually fight each other, which is pretty cool. Um, I might just go ahead and throw those on the stack to send to you, because while I don't have the individual issues, I bought the omnibus that... I think it was IDW that put it out where they collect uh. all of the issues in one omnibus. And I read it just a couple of years ago and, uh, and I loved it. I thought it was really, really good stuff. So I have read them and I, you know, again, don't have the individual issues, but I do have it all collected. So I might just go ahead and send those to you. Cause I, I think that you would really oh, enjoy yeah. it. Uh, let's see what else we have here. This is one I've always been really curious about cause I've heard good things, but I've never read any of it was called, uh, Star Trek Starfleet Academy. And this was an original that. series that Marvel did under the Star Trek imprint where it was just, you know, Marvel created characters operating in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, so it was all Konams and Bearclaws. Right. <laughs> and uh, there's an issue, let's see, 1 and 2, uh, 10, 12, 13, 14, 16, and 17. So nice little run there. And what else do we have? Uh, Star Trek tele- uh, Telepathy War, which I think this book, I think this was a one-shot that was a crossover with all of the Star Trek titles running at the time. Because it says right on the cover, it says, at last. So Star Trek Next Generation meets Deep Space Nine meets Starfleet Academy. So maybe not all of the titles, but definitely those anyway. And it looks really cool. It's got Spock on the cover. It's got the ass heads on the cover. It's got... Uh, Riker fighting one of those, um, I can't remember what they were called, the aliens from Deep Space Nine, that Dominion or whatever the hell they were called, but really good artwork on these. That was one thing where Marvel got it right the second time around, is that generally speaking, the art was really, really good on all of these Star Trek comics that they did during this second time around. And then, of course, I got a whole bunch more issues of Star Trek Unlimited, which is the one that I, I remain the most excited about. We've got uh, Star Trek Unlimited number five. 
This one looks interesting because it says Lieutenant Shelby is a Borg, and it's all Riker's fault. And that that looks cool because, of course, that spins out of uh, Best of Both Worlds that we haven't that wasn't, covered yet. But. Maybe I'm thinking of this one. Was this one in the anthology that was? It was. It would have a TNG story and then a, a yep. old school story. Yep, that's the one. Okay, that's the one that had the story with uh, Trelane and Q. Yes, and yes. that's one of the ones that I got. I got five, six, and seven, and seven is the one. It's it just shows on the cover. It shows the uh, I have that one next gen com badge, and then it shows one of the original series emblems. And it says two starships, two crews, one adventure. I've long wanted to read this one. I'm really looking forward to that. So that will be cool. I have that one, and I seem to remember it was really good. Uh, Star Trek Untold Voyages number two, which uh, I'm almost that I think that brings me up to only needing an issue or two of that to have the entire run of that series. And then a whole bunch of issues of Star Trek Voyager. I've got uh, two, three, uh, nine, 10, 11, 12 and 15. So I'm getting there. I'm getting to where I've pretty much got them all. But uh, I really did appreciate this. And uh Told Bill, you know how much, I, how happy I was to get these because I would, I would like to have a complete collection of all of these and and really be able to sit down and pour over them because what I have read of, uh, you know, this particular iteration of uh, Marvel Star Trek comics, I really enjoyed. I thought, you know, most of them were really good, especially the, uh, um, you know, the early voyages, um, the first and the last issue of. Uh, the untold voyages was really good too. And, um, you know, just scattered issues here and there. I covered, uh, uh, an issue of, there was a, I think it was a three issue, uh, mini series that they did with Voyager. It was called splashdown where where the Voyager actually crashed on a water world. I covered that on back to the bins like ages ago, but it was really good. I, I liked the, the first issue so much that I read the whole rest of the series and that was really good. And there was another one that they did with Voyager where they encountered another one of the Doomsday Machines, like from the original series. That was pretty good, too. So, they, you know, they had a, had some really interesting things beyond just, the, you know, the regular series as well. They did some minis and stuff that were cool. I, was, I have one long box that's dedicated just to Star Trek and Star Wars. And I was ruminating the other day of what kind of task it would be to try to get every Star Trek and Star Wars comic. And I think it would be almost impossible <laughs> for me. I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's all that many Star Trek ones, strangely because Star Trek's been around longer, but it doesn't seem to have proliferated as much in comics as like Star Wars did. I mean, you Dark know, Horse Wars has put out so many Star Wars. Yeah. Comics. That's the thing is, you know, Star Wars has been around, you know, 10 years less than Star Trek, yet, you know, it's just been crazy the amount of comics that have come out related to Star Wars. Because a few years ago, I was, uh, you know, I was on a mission. I was going to do the same thing. I wanted to have every Star Wars comic. But the problem is, is that, you know, beyond the, uh, the original Marvel series and everything... The Dark Horse stuff, for as much great stuff as there is that Dark Horse did, there's a lot of crap, too. Yeah. Because I, I don't think they really started really nailing it and getting it right, or at least right for me, 
up until some of the latter day series that they did like empire and stuff like that but a lot of that stuff from when they first started up up until about the time they started to do empire a lot of that stuff i just i'm really not that interested in a lot of it's kind of yeah it's just kind of weird and woolly and not terribly interesting to me it doesn't quite have the flavor right right it almost had a feel of deep too much deep history with right familiar characters well, a lot of it ha- has a real '90s feel, and, yeah. and not not in a good way yeah. either. You know, <laughs> you know al- almost like quintessential '90s comics in a lot of ways. Because I, I, it was years ago, but I downloaded a torrent of the, you know, all the Star Wars comics, and mm-hmm. so I got to poke through a lot of the early Dark Horse ones enough to know that, like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be interested in in most of this. Right, you know, and yeah, it, it looked like the same thing. So maybe I might like find a newer version of that torrent, or find some place that has a checklist, and then cherry pick. You know, right? That's the best thing to do because you know. That said, I mean, there is a lot of really good stuff. Right. But that's what you have to do. You kind of have to cherry pick, and you know, the nice thing about it is that you know it's different from say like Marvel Star Wars where. You know, it, it was one series. There's there's such a proliferation and there's so much stuff that you can cherry pick, especially if you're if you're attached to particular characters or you're curious about particular characters. That there's so much stuff out there that you can kind of do that. You can kind of decide. Well, you know, I, this appeals to me, so I want to read this, but I don't That's have good. to read this because it doesn't appeal yeah. or it takes place in a different you know, timeline or, you know, a different era or follows characters you don't care about or whatever. Well, there might be, I was also thinking there might be less Star Trek comics too, but I would still, it would still be weird for me to start collecting, say, Deep Space Nine or Voyager comics because I would have no idea, you know, I wouldn't even want to read them before I'd like gotten familiar with the TV show and the characters and stuff. Right. So, although it would be a weird perspective to like, Learn the character, you know, learn about the characters through the comics and then watch the TV series. That would be a, a bass backwards way of trying it. But and then and then the the thing about Star Trek is with Star Wars, I've got all the old Star Wars comics with Star Trek. Then you get into like gold key and those things, you know, you're probably going to average 10, 12 bucks a pop, you know. Right. Yeah, they're not cheap. Those. Although I do have about half of them in collected form in the in the version forms of those captains logs. Do you remember those? They're they're big. Right. Um, I got two of those from Mr. Jones's class in middle school. And uh, the, and if I can get the number three and four, that would be all the gold key ones. Right. So I could technically have them in book form. And I think they reprinted them recently too. So, but yeah, not really any news. But I was able to make <laughs> Star Trek small talk. Huh? We're good at that. Miraculous how that works. What about you? Well, beyond that, all we really have is feedback. So, we want to go ahead and just jump right into this then. Sure. All right, so the first one up here we have from uh, our friend Jason Trenner, and he writes, Something else for Star Trek Monthly Monday's TOS edition. He says, Hey, guys, 
Uh, on the talk of the Intrepid and you guys weren't sure what it was, well, the TOS remastered version of Court Martial made official what everyone had been saying. That being the uh, that being the Intrepid was of the same class as the Enterprise. So yes, the talk of Spock being quote unquote the first Vulcan in Starfleet uh, is kind of smacked in the face by the Intrepid. And he gives the uh, Memory Alpha link to that, which I'll have to go take a look at. He says, uh, didn't doubt you guys just felt uh, this was proof for what I said. Uh, I have a feeling that's going back to an older email. I did some digging around in our uh, in our inbox and uh-huh. ha- had to weed out once again a whole bunch of spam and junk that showed up in there. And I turned up a couple of emails that I think had been skipped at one point. So I just wanted to make sure that we were addressing everything. That was one of the ones that turned up. So I think that was actually addressing a, an older point that we had brought up at some point in the past that uh, I no longer really remember what it was all about. Moving along, we have one here from John Lovett. And he writes in about Star Trek Monthly Monday number 59. He says, feedback. He says, hey, freaks, just finished listening to both editions of Star Trek Monthly Monday number 59. I always listen to both. Great shows, as usual. As usual, I wanted to let you know about two things. One TOS, the other TNG. Regarding TOS, he says, Have you heard of the book These Are the Voyages by Mark Cushman? He says, I don't recall hearing it mentioned on your show. It is a very in-depth look at the making of Season 1 of TOS. Each chapter is devoted to an episode and covers script development, pre-production, filming, post-production, and reaction. It's just as detailed as Rinsler's making of Star Wars books. The print copy is pretty expensive, but the E-edition costs only $16. Seasons 2 and 3 are supposed to be out before the end of 2014. I have not heard of these, and that sounds really interesting. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I like stuff like that. Yeah. I have a whole bunch of different Trek books that are all like making of and stuff. I love stuff like that. I'm more, so, I, I like the nonfiction right. Trek books better than I like the fiction ones, actually. Right, and they're often better written. <laughs> he says, uh, regarding G- TNG, he says, I recently uh, attended an event called HelioCon in Louisville, Texas. It was a first time small con that focused on writers of speculative fiction. One of the speakers was Michael Jan Friedman, author of several Star Trek books and the first several issues of DC's TNG comic. He was nice enough to autograph a book for me. Anyway, I told him about your podcast and that you guys had been covering his TNG issues. He seemed to get a kick out of that. Just doing my part to spread the word. Again, thanks again for putting out such consistently good shows. And that, again, is from John Lovett. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for telling... uh, Michael Jan Friedman all about us. And, yeah. uh, Next maybe time be... though, you get him cornered, you know, just sort of, you <laughs> know, you just telling him about it isn't good enough. You got to make him sit down, set up your, bring a laptop with you with episodes loaded up. You better load up every episode we have just in case you meet somebody it pertains to it, and sit him down and make him listen to it. But otherwise, go thanks. Go bag over his head, tell him get in the van, stupid. Yeah, there you go. yeah that sort of thing. Does this, uh, does this rag smell like ether to you (laughs) alright next one here is from Chris Franklin I think we're getting a couple of new names here possibly what do you think I don't recognize that one but I don't want to say I don't want to recognize it 
I don't want to offend anybody who's like, all right, I've written to you a hundred times, you don't remember me? (laughs) (laughs) He says, loving the hell out of your show. Uh, Scott and Chris, he says, I just wanted to drop you a line and let you know I've been digging through your archives and listening to all the classic Trek-themed episodes. I like all Trek, but I love me some TOS. I found your show through uh, following my buddy Andrew Leyland to your Two True Freaks Network. After listening to the Hey Kids Comics Library, I thought it was time to expand into other freakish things, and Trek and me go way back. I have tons of books on classic Trek and consider myself pretty well informed, but your fresh, irreverent, and frickin' hilarious take on this stuff never fails to make me laugh. And think! <laughs> really? We made somebody think? <laughs> Sorry about that. awesome. <laughs> That's nice, little guy. I hope we helped you think. <laughs> he says that's just one uh wait i'm sorry i never questioned why kirk didn't t- uh just take edith keeler back to the future with him until you guys brought it up that's just one instance but you guys have looked beyond the fanboy glow on many trek episodes movies and comics and really made me question some things i always took for granted the high pro glow all- <laughs> but despite all that Uh, The love you two have for this franchise is very obvious and infectious. It reminds me of how much I love Kirk-era Trek. Uh, I've had to stop myself from snickering out loud while listening to this show at work. One of these days, I'm going to lose it when you two go all Van Kelter again. (laughs) Uh, Looking forward to hearing more. And again, that's from Chris Franklin. He's the co-host of Supermates and Power Records Podcast. Ooh, Power Records. Po- All right. I'm going to have to give that a listen because uh, I was, uh, in fact, I was just listening to. Have you ever heard the Power Records versions of um, the Apes films? Well, Chris? you know, it's just so strange that you mentioned that because just two nights ago, I went and got myself, I've got recordings of the records of all of them now because mm-hmm. I have a secret project coming up. And I right. thought they would be perfect for it. I was doing a lot of listening to Power Records in the last couple days. So that's odd. Yes, I have I, I've I have them all sitting in a in a folder on my on my desktop right now, right in front of me. <laughs> now I'm no expert, but the ones I listened to, it was you know, of course of the original Apes films there were five films. And Power Records, the, the ones I could find, there were only four of the five. So there was one that was missing, which I think was Conquest, I believe, was the one that, that they hadn't done, or at least the one I didn't have. I can tell but you I exactly. I've, I, I found lists of all of them. There's mm-hmm. Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet uh-huh. of the Apes, Escape from Planet of the Apes, and then Battle for the Planet Battle. of the Apes. Okay, so they did, they get, did skip Conquest. And then, then there's four stories that were made just for Power Records. Oh really? Yes, Mountain of the Delphi, Dawn oh, of the Tree okay. People, Battle of that the That must two be worlds. volume 2. Cuz I looked at a website that was talking all about um Power Records and all I could mm-hmm. find was that it's, it it divided the Apes Power Records into two sets. It was volume 1 and volume 2 and volume 1 was the four film adaptions, but I couldn't find any information on what the hell volume 2 was. So that that makes sense that that was all, the all original stuff cuz they did that with like Star Trek as well. They they had all original the power records. Lever. Yeah, exactly. But what was cool was I was listening to them and I can't remember which character it was. I want to say it was Taylor, but I could be wrong. 
But one of the characters in the in the very first one, in the adaptation of Planet of the Apes, the first film, one of the main characters, and again, I, I think it's Taylor, I'm listening to his voice, and it was making me crazy. I'm like, I know I've heard this dude. Who the hell is this guy? I know I've heard him before. And about midway through the episode, it finally hit me who he was. He was Captain America in the old uh, Marvel 60s cartoons. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was really cool when I realized who, what the voice was. because, And it's weird that it took me so long because to this day, whenever I read a, a comic with Captain America in it, that's the voice I hear in my head is the voice of Cap from the old 60s cartoons. It's really weird. So I thought that was interesting. I have no idea what that actor's name is. I should probably look it up and find out what his name is, see if he's still alive or whatever. But I just thought that was really cool. Because, you know, a lot of those things were all produced by the same houses anyway. Yeah, same group of, little group of actors. They probably sat down and just did tons of them, you know, mm -hmm. in the course of yeah. the day. Well, I recognized also some of the female voices I recognized from um, some of the Disneyland productions from way back. Because I think... Didn't Power Records have something to do with Disneyland Records? Not sure. I, I want to say seen, they were produced by Disneyland Records, but I'm not sure. You see, I think I've seen some cross-pollination between Power Records, Peter Pan Records, and right, Disney. Yeah. I think yeah, that's all... what I, Peter Pan is what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. All right, let's see here. We do have another one. This one is from our friend Greg Kirkman. He writes, Star Trek Monthly Monday number 61. He says, greetings, freaks. He says, first off, I'm happy to report that I finally started reading DC's Star Trek and I'm making my way through the relevant portions of previous Trek Monthly Monday episodes to hear your coverage. I don't have a lot of experience with Trek comics, although I've read the post-TMP, that's the Motion Picture Marvel series, the early Voyages series, which tells tales set during the days of Captain Pike, and my buddy Glenn Greenberg's Untold Voyages miniseries. Seriously, uh, Greg, you're, you're friends with Glenn, Glenn Greenberg? Because uh, <clears throat> if you are, you need, to, you need to put us in contact with him, because I would love to pick his brain about that last issue of Untold Voyages. That's one of my favorite Trek stories. Uh, he says, <laughs> which bridged the gap between the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. And of course, I love Byrne stuff. In fact, the good Mr. Byrne was kind enough to ask me to provide a small contribution to an upcoming issue of his photo novel comic series, uh, which is, should see print later this year. It's my own teensy weeny uh, claim to Trek fame and possibly a memory beta footnote. And I'm quite giddy about it. More on this when the issue sees print. Yes, definitely. Keep us informed on that. I would love to hear more. So anyway, I'm enjoying DC's Trek so far, as well as your coverage of it. Thanks for expressing interest in my model and pro, uh, prop work. As a kid, I never imagined that I'd build so many cool models. Probably my favorite Trek-related items are the bridge dedication plaques, several communicator props directly molded uh, from surviving originals, and a hand phaser which includes all of the working mechanisms of the original uh, of the original, he says, pop-up targeting site, extending beam emitter, and light-up emitter tip. Oh, that's cool. This is the amount of thought and work which uh, went into the original props is quite staggering for a 1960s show that was broadcast on low-res TV sets. I am not actually on Facebook, as I've uh, never really been into social media. However, presented below are links to photos of many of my props and models. Feel free to post them 
to TTF's Facebook page for me, if you wish. At the very least, they should satisfy your uh, stated desire to see some of my stuff. And he gave a whole bunch of links here to pictures of all different uh, Trek-related items that he has done. And I will be copying these pictures and getting them posted to our Facebook group uh, in the very near future because I'm very anxious to look at these. Uh, continuing on here, he says, I, uh, I have a lot of other models in the pipe, and uh, I haven't even mentioned my lightsaber prop replicas or the stack of Japanese Star Wars spaceship kits that I have yet to begin. Oh. Anyway, on to some specific points you raised in your last episode. Uh, while I think that the third season of TOS is largely terrible, I do agree that a few episodes aren't too bad. Probably my favorite episode from that season is All Our Yesterdays. On the flip side, I think uh, episodes like the Tholian Web and the Enterprise Incident are overrated. Ooh. I'll give you the Enterprise Incident, but the Tholian Web, dude, that, that episode rocks, man. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? You you like the Tholian Web, don't you? I do like the Tholian Web a lot. I think our... You see, the thing about it with us is the age that we were watching these ones, like, if... <clears throat> We if we hadn't seen the Tholian web when we were little kids and had it just freak us out so That's much, true. yeah, yeah. If it had shit out of me, I probably wouldn't be so sentimentally attached to it, which so, is a strange thing to say. Well, there's just a lot of baggage with it, but as we're gonna find out later tonight, it's like I think the third season's a little more. I mean, there's good reason. You definitely see the seams start showing in season three, right? Kirk's girdle starts busting <laughs> but you know there's there's still a lot of good stuff in there you know now what do you think of the ep other episode that he mentioned i don't think we've covered this the, one yet is on that the, the one the rom with the romulans yeah have we covered that one i don't think so i don't think so either so at, at the risk of contradicting you know contradicting myself later because i don't think we've covered this episode yet I don't remember ever liking that one. Even from when I was a kid, I never liked that one. Now, Randy always liked that one. because well, it's got the Vulcan Kirk... death grip in it. It's got the Vulcan death grip, and then Kirk gets made over as a Romulan later in the episode. But I just never liked that one because it, it's a Spock romance episode, which I always kind of rolled my eyes and was like, oh, God. Because I think even as a kid... Like on a subconscious you level, I could it. tell that they were pandering to the to the women in the audience that were all wet in the shorts over Mr. Spock, you know. And I just never bought it. Plus that that Romulan, the female Romulan commander, I I never thought she was attractive anyway. She's kind of I don't know, just she you know, just didn't do it for me, you know. <laughs> Plus I always liked it when when a woman. Like they, they go to some place or they beam in or whatever, and there's like this beautiful woman there that that Kirk's like, hey, how you doing? And then she just completely blows yes. him off for the other, you know, some other member of the cast. So Kirk suddenly has like no time of day for her whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instantly I love that. Knowing. I actually love that. So <laughs> I'm surprised I actually don't like the episode more just for that angle. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Greg continues here. He says. Uh, they have some cool ideas and visuals, yes, but they still suffer from a lot of problems. Uh, that all being said, bad TOS is like bad pizza, and I think there is at least one element of value in every single TOS episode. A character, an actor, a line of dialogue, a story idea, a piece of music, etc. 
I must apologize to Scott for invoking his pet peeve regarding uh, turning one's brain off in order to enjoy new Trek, but I totally uh, because I totally agree. While I can turn my brain off to enjoy it, I decided long ago that I should not have to. As generic space adventure movie, New Trek is fine and dandy, but it just ain't Star Trek, and I therefore shouldn't waste time and money on it. I only saw the first movie because I managed to score a free ticket. Seeing it in the theater and sub- subsequently on TV left me feeling dazed, almost like a victim of a violent crime. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Mental rape. Uh, <laughs> It's just weird to see something uh, that I know and love so well turned upside down and inside out. Yes, welcome to my world, Greg. So, uh, indeed, I've been Isn't thinking that a lately... Donna Summer song or something? <laughs> a disco song. Indeed, I've been thinking lately about how niche uh, properties seem to be no longer allowed in Hollywood. The old Trek movies were never mega hits on a level of Star Wars or Batman, and that was okay. Paramount didn't try to radically retool Trek to pull in a wider audience. The Wrath of Khan imp- uh, improved upon the motion picture by featuring more action and adventure, but it still captured the style and tone of TOS even more than the first movie did. And the breakthrough hit, The Voyage Home, was still very much Star Trek, although it was much more comedic and eschewed most of the space adventure elements of the previous films. All New Trek has really accomplished is stripping away, uh, is the stripping away of Star Trek's identity. The line between Trek and Star Wars is now significantly blurred to the point where both franchises may well uh, become a bland, uh, bland slurry of generic brainless action. Slapping a topical wow, message about sounds like the inside of my skull. <laughs> <laughs> Slapping a topical message about drone, drone warfare onto the Wrath of Khan does not make for good Star Trek. In effect, Trek has sold out. It's become generic space adventure rather than Star Trek. The real Star Trek can have explosions, titties, and comedy, but those elements are just window dressing for what is, at its core, intelligent science fiction and strong character drama. Amen! Jesus, that ought to be on a t-shirt somewhere. I'm going to read that again. The real Star Trek can have explosions, titties, and comedy, because, hey, come on, that's seasons two and three right there. (laughs) (laughs) But those elements are just window dressing for what is, at its core, intelligent science fiction and strong character drama. Hell, yes, I completely agree with you. I I think that was the compromise that Roddenberry had to make to get his show made, is that he realized that, you know, right from that first pilot being rejected because it was too cerebral for television, he realized that, all right, I'm going to have to adventure this up a little yeah. bit. I'm going to have to have some knockdown, drag out, he liked money. fist fights and some titties in there. Yeah. He liked money a lot, actually. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, as for the casting and the whole getting Kirk right thing, uh, it's pretty obvious to me that New Trek is based on the popular perception of TOS more than the material itself. Yes, it is. That's why the Classic 7 are in there, even though there isn't any Classic 7. Uh, as Ron Moore has often stated, Jim Kirk is the perfect captain. He's brave, loyal. Uh, he always does the right thing for the right reasons. He always gets the girl, etc. However, the general perception of Kirk, even within hardcore fandom is that he's an uh, egocentric, rule-breaking, womanizing maverick, which is patently untrue. I can only assume that a lot of the mindset comes from stories about Shatner's ego bleeding over into fans' perception of Kirk. And the one-time Kirk 
Uh, and the one time Kirk stole and destroyed the Enterprise under extraordinary circumstance and not during the prime of his career. If you go back and study TOS, Kirk is just as much a Renaissance man as Picard. He was a stack of books with legs uh, at the Academy, and he's well-versed in history and a lot of other subjects. While he does get, uh, uh, while he does have a girl in every pore, it's clear that he has feelings which run deep. He's not cons uh, constantly chasing after women for the sake of cheap flings. On those occasions, uh, when he does get it on during TOS, more often than not, it's either to save his ship or after the woman made, uh, makes the first move. Hmm. I think he brings up a really good point there. Yeah, I've never heard. Actually, I like the the point that maybe the new s series or the you know the reboot is being flavored by Sh Shatner's persona rather than actually the Kirk's character. I never really I, thought of that. That but I that's think probably really a, true. I think there's a certain degree of that, but I I think more than anything and this is one of the the many things that has bothered me about New Trek that it's funny I never really consciously thought about it before, but but Greg brings this up and it's a great point is that yeah, it it's it's Star Trek through the filter of popular perception. What yeah. other people who are not into Star Trek think Star Trek is, so let's give them that. Yeah, and it's from a paragraph, reasons. you know, right. synopsis of what Star Trek is. Yeah, Cliff yeah. Notes version. Not even yeah, Cliff Notes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Well, the whole thing with the green woman. There, there seems to be this... this popular perception in in you know in popular culture among the you know the uneducated I'll, I'll call them you know people that are not star trek fans Aye. about you know kirk banging green women when the hell in the course of the entire original series did kirk ever bang a green chick i don't remember that there were green chicks I, there were green it. chicks present and they yes. were hot and the people who watched it wanted to bang them and right. maybe they put it together in their mind with kirk but right. you know, it's it's just like um, I can't remember. There's there's a lot. Um, <clears throat> it's like Casablanca. He never says "play it again, Sam." In Casablanca, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, Kirk but, never says "beam me up, Scotty." In the entire course of TOS, either, which is another one of those myths. You know, everybody thinks that it was mm -hmm. done, but it was never actually done. He, he, the closest he ever came in my recollection is in Star Trek Four, when he calls Scotty after he dismisses the the whale biologist there. He says Scotty, and then there's a pause, and he says "Beam me up," and that's about the closest he ever came. But by that point, "Beam me up, Scotty" was a cultural thing, right? Right. You know, so I think that was like their nod to it. But in the course of the original seventy nine episodes, he never actually says that line, but everybody thinks that he does. That's my problem with New Trek is that it, I, I think it operates on that level of, well, everybody knows this about Star Trek, whether the hell it's actually true or not. That and I, I still say that at least with, you know, because I've only ever seen just the first movie. But to me, it seemed like their level of research was watching Wrath of Khan and that was it, you know. But anyway, I don't want to turn this into another <laughs> yet another well, New gross. Trek thing. Uh, continuing on for... Uh, Greg's letter here, he says, uh, as for rule-breaking, people always like to cite the Prime Directive, but often forget the original concept of Star Trek. Starship, uh, starship captains were supposed to be akin to naval captains in colonial Britain, uh, who were given a lot of latitude by headquarters because they were... 
the only representatives of their nation exploring far-off lands. Kirk is a man who thinks outside the box and comes up with creative solutions, which is why uh, he was commended for his rigging of the Kobayashi Maru test and later became the youngest captain in the fleet. Kirk was a wunderkind uh, who worked hard for many years to get into that captain's chair, and he's really good at his job. And then there's New Kirk, who gets into bar fights, has random, random threesomes, and was promoted from cadet to captain in a matter of days, not even close to being the same character. And yes, I agree with you. This is indeed the pro- professionalism, uh, camaraderie, bravery, maturity, and dignity of the original Enterprise c- crew seems to be sorely lacking from New Trek. As for Enterprise, I should point out that I did watch it sporadically during its run and have considered uh, revisiting it. A major factor in its improvement during Season 4 was Manny Cotto, who is a huge TOS fan, coming aboard as showrunner. Cotto uh, worked to fix a lot of problems that had beset Enterprise, but the damage was already done and the show was canceled. Thanks again for your interest. I promise I'll figure out this Skype thing if you want me in on the inevitable burn special. Yes, I, I would love to have you on, especially if you're actually a contributor to uh, burn Star Trek work. Absolutely, we'd like to have you on. He says, emails work too. Either way, I'd be happy to contribute. And again, uh, thanks. That's from Greg Kirkman. Thank you very much, Greg, for yet another very uh, thought-provoking email. I really appreciate it. Great. <laughs> and let's see here. I think that is it for this time around. What do you say? I say you're right, but I have no idea. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to call it there because that was rather long. So we can take a little break and uh, maybe plug somebody's show or something, and then we'll come back with uh, the episode proper. What do you say? That sounds like a good plan to me. Calabac, Desad, it is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Hootsu podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Ditching and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick... Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him! He's also part of the DC! Who's Who? Who's Who? The definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water Podcast. Hey, a bunch of damn dirty apes. It's me, Maury Clawhammer. Don't you recognize me? Of course you don't. I've gone back to my simian roots. Maury Clawhammer is going ape. That's right. Coming soon at 2TrueFreaks.com, it's Planet of the Apes Month. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm peeling a banana with my feet while watching all five of them monkey movies. 
Now I'm reading the chimpanzee comic while swinging on my swinging tire swing. Woohoo! Then it's toy time when some kid throws me a vintage Mego Dr. Zayas action figure. And I'm gonna put it where the sun don't shine in front of a whole third grade class. And nobody's gonna bat an eye. Then I'm gonna pull it out and I'm gonna fling it at him. It's a whole month of monkey madness. Coming soon at twotruefreaks.com. Check it out. I'm devolving by the second. Or is it the other way around? All right, and welcome back to episode 62 of Star Trek Monthly Monday. We are going to go into the episode proper, and this month it's a... You better girdle up, because it's a third season episode. (laughs) The Savage Curtain. Captain Kirk, I believe. Alert status. Do I gather that you recognize me? I am Abraham Lincoln. Just as I am whom I appear to be. Seraphim. Greatest of all who ever lived on our planet, Captain. Some of these you may know through history. Colonel Green, who led a genocidal war. Zora, Genghis Khan, Kalis. Zorak. No need to blame yourself. We have a complete power failure. What happened? The shielding is breaking down, and I estimate four hours before the ship blows up. To save your ship and your crew, you have to win. How can we warn him? Your existence is ended. All right, so this one's the tha- Savage Curtain. I can't even talk. <laughs> Savage Curtain, third season episode, as Chris said. This one first aired March 7th, 1969. Chris and I were just wee little tykes, not even a year old yet. All right, so the synopsis for this one out of the Star Trek Compendium by Alan Asherman reads as such. I've gone back to this, by the way. I think I was using the nitpickers guide before, but I this was just easier for me to reach. So this, I'm going back to this one. It says, while surveying the planet Excalibia, which I always like the name of that, Excalibia, uh... A world apparently, uh, a world that apparently consists of nothing but a lava-like surface. The USS Enterprise is scanned by a powerful energy source on the planet below. Soon afterward, an entity who resembles Abraham Lincoln and who claims to be the famous man materializes in space near the Enterprise and requests to be beamed aboard. Against the recommendations of Dr. McCoy, Kirk and Spock decide to accept Lincoln's invitation to visit the surface of Excalbia. There, a rock creature named, named Yarnick <laughs> announces that Yarnick. the Enterprise men Yarnick <laughs> announces that the Enterprise men will participate in a battle between good and evil, so that Excalbians can learn about these humanoid philosophies. On the good side are Kirk, Spock, Lincoln, and the legendary Vulcan peacemaker, Surak. Representing the bad side are Kalos, the Klingon, Zora, a merciless criminal scientist, Genghis Khan, 
Lincoln's uh, cop buddy from the 1970s. And Colonel Green, an unprincipled, aggressive Terran killer. After only Kirk and Spock, Genghis Khan and Zora are left alive, Yarnak returns our people to the Enterprise. Wow, that's a really dry synopsis. Wow. Oh, that's it's oh, it's it's so dull a synopsis for such a freaking awesome. I love this episode, dude. What do you do? You like this one? I love I love it too because I mean, and once again, as a kid, this episode of Star Trek I think is like one of the the episodes that has inspired more kids who go out and play Star Trek mm-hmm. than any other one mm-hmm. because it's out there. It has like roles for you to play and you can play you could act out this episode in your own if you had like a nice little patch of woods or a field behind your house you could just go and throw rocks at each other just like these guys you know break up into two little groups and plot against each other so it's got that going for it but what else it's got going for it is freaking space Abraham Lincoln Space Abraham Lincoln. You know, I I did not read anything from this book before starting the episode, and I wish I had now because I always forget that the the uh, Star Trek uh, compendium always has a lot of really interesting stuff in it. Well, I had gone and looked at like Memory Alpha and all these different mm-hmm. places. I'm just I'm surprised that none of those listed this. Uh, so I'm looking here, and the uh, the actor that played Surak in this episode, his name's Barry Atwater. And it's listing all these other things that he did, like Twilight Zone and uh, Man from Uncle and stuff. And it says here he was an episode of a show. Do you remember a show called One Step Beyond? It was yes. kind of like Twilight Zone type of thing. He was in an episode of that show called The Day the Earth, uh, the World Wept. And guess who he played? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Is that not a trip? So the guy that played Surak actually and played Lincoln. And his personal assistant was named Kennedy. <laughs> Probably, and his That's dog was named Dallas. <laughs> his favorite I TV show is Dallas. Cool. <laughs> I think that's neat, but no, I've I've always liked this one. I like it just you know I've I've heard this one criticized for some of the cheesier aspects of it, but I love the cheese in this one because I remember watching this with somebody years ago, and I can't remember who it was. And they were, like, really dogging on the opener where Lincoln materializes and he's sitting in his chair looking very much like the Lincoln Memorial. But it's just, like, floating out in space on the view screen of the Enterprise. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can how can he be out there? How can he be breathing in space? And so, like, why is Lincoln in space? I'm like... Who cares? It's, it's it's Abe Lincoln in space. I I don't I don't care how it happens. It's just it's happening and it's cool. Well, so. that's addressed in the show. They're like, how can this be? And it's like it sh- shouldn't be, but apparently, you know, apparently it is. <laughs> and I like you know it's funny because I saw it in a different framework now as an adult. And whereas, um, what was the alien's name again? Yarnak. Yarnak. I whereas I, I thought before it was like Yarnak's version of Alright, we'll see what these Earthmen are you know, what their test their metal and right. see, and and whatever and learn something from them. 
now it just seems like he's basically just like a space producer running a space reality show. And he's like, all right, Earthmen, you know, you're on the big, there's millions of us watching you right now. <laughs> Fight. But he's like, he's kind of like a predecessor to, uh, do you remember Mojo from Longshot? Yes. Because it kind of the same thing. Yeah. Where he was making the heroes fight for his own amusement and you know, putting him on TV kind of thing. Because he does. Yarnick broadcasts the fight up to the ships, everybody on the Enterprise, rather than like doing their jobs and tending their stations. They're all watching this right. pay-per-view fight with Kirk, Spock, and Lincoln and everybody on the, on the view screen of the ship, which John, is just a trip. John Byrne, if you're listening, photo novel idea. You do this episode as a photo novel, sort of, but you show it from Yarnick's race's point of view. So it has commercials mm-hmm. and stuff in between, you know. Right. You know, it, it, coming up after this commercial, will you know what's Sirac's final fate? You know, because you could. It, it's already got fade outs at commercials. <laughs> Right. I would love to see that. And like the producers in the studio arguing over the ethics of it or whatever, (laughs) or what, you know, elements to introduce. I think one of the reasons I I was thinking before when this episode came up that we had already done this one was that we did discuss elements of this episode when we first started doing the DC Comics. Because remember that very first storyline in DC Comics was a sequel to this episode where the Excalbians come back and they pit the Federation versus the Klingons. And then remember the, uh, what were they called? The, um, ah, shit. Remember there's that peace treaty that was forced on Kirk in the first episode that ever had Klingons in it. Organians. Yeah. The Organians and the, and the Excalbians end up like getting into like a cosmic tussle at the end of that story. That's right. And then they like they go off into like some other dimension or something to, to, to battle it out. Point. It was just sort of yeah. like you guys don't want to see this. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. So I, I think that's why I was thinking we'd already discussed uh, at least some elements of this. But the the thing that has always really stood out to me though in this episode, and it might seem like kind of a weird and obvious thing to say, but it, it is Lincoln. Not just the fact that. Hey, Space Lincoln and how cool or, or weird or whatever is that. But the guy that plays Lincoln in this is now granted he's playing. And it's funny. I was just reading something today. Let me see if I could find this. I might still have it pulled up. But I was reading something about how in recent years there ha- there was some study or something that was basically looking. Here it is right here. Uh, it says, as with the. No, I'm sorry. Here it is. In 2005, the episode was mentioned in a Time magazine article called The True Lincoln, uh, the centerpiece of a special issue largely devoted to him. Contrasting the lionized, iconic Lincoln seen in the episode, common in the 1960s, with the more flawed human portrayals often found today. But that's, that's what I like about this, is that not only isn't this, of course, it's not really Lincoln. Spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen the episode, but it's not really Lincoln. What it is, is it's Lincoln drawn out of Kirk's mind, right. out of his memories and his his affection for Lincoln. Right. So he would be an idealized well, version. It's, it's a testament to Kirk that he isn't the robot from the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. Just a lifelike simulation. Kirk's 
Kirk's mem and there's also the memory banks of the ship and stuff, which probably had lots of historical portrayals of Lincoln and stuff. Right. But yeah, it was and even if it was the even if it was the flawed Lincoln, this is a Lincoln on presidential duties. So he's right. being a politician too. Right. It, you know, to whatever amount of free thought that, you know, they don't go into how real, you know, whether these guys were just made up um, automatons or whether they just tried to make, you know, whether these things were self-aware and actually, you know, they, they appeared to actually think they were who they were. Right. And when it came to like, well, how did you get here? They would sort of go into this fuzzy like, I don't, you know what? I don't know. I don't but then know, they yeah. would snap back into you know. But either way, you know, my task is to kill you. You know. Well, see, it's funny to me that you mention you know Hall of Presidents Automaton Lincoln because that's another thing that I really love about this episode is that you get to see a side of Kirk that I don't uh, off the top of my head, uh, other than possibly when he meets Zephram Cochran and finally realizes who the guy really is. I can't recall moments where Fan Kirk was Kirk. ever like, uh, I'm sorry? Fanboy Kirk. Fanboy Kirk, exactly. I can't really remember any times where Kirk was kind of uh, starstruck or fanboyish. And well, he Lincoln calls him James. Here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and but he, I really he's... like that because, you know, there, there's a great episode of uh, the Disneyland show where where Walt Disney himself talks about uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, which was the forerunner of the Hall of Presidents. And it was his love and admiration for Lincoln as a boy that led to that, you know, that character being created as an autom you know, audio animatronic. And watching this episode again, there's that great moment where they come back from the commercial and Lincoln is saying something. And I was watching Kirk watching Lincoln. And I think it's a real testament to Shatner's acting that he looks like a, a, a little boy. He looks like a starstruck little boy watching one of his heroes come to life. And it's the same kind of look that Disney had talking about Lincoln as well. And I, I just it was just, just a really nice moment that this is so cool. One of my heroes, Kirk, being starstruck by one of his heroes lincoln I, I just there was something really neat about that that i really found engaging with the episode you know all over again well i love the part where lincoln really greased him up by comparing him to grant right yeah whiskey james remind me of somebody i know who used to drink whiskey so i was really psyched to have a shout out to to grant mm -hmm. and it <laughs> I, i'd forgotten all about that now on the flip side is the other uh the other big hero moment in this where where Spock meets Surak. And I can remember this being one of those things that Randy would always rip on mercilessly when we were kids is the moment where, where Surak pops up. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, we meet Lincoln floating out there in space and, and everybody from, you know, from Kirk to Uhura to Sulu to Spock himself knows who Abraham Lincoln is. They all know him even though he's been dead by this point for like 300 years or better. Yet Surak, who is arguably the most important Vulcan 
that's ever lived. He pops up, Spock's all starstruck, and Kirk's like, who? <laughs> He's never even heard of the guy. I, I He's the, basically the Vulcan, like, Jesus or Jesus, Muhammad yeah. or, you know, or um, Buddha. <laughs> Buddha would probably be the most, like, right. Vulcan-y sort of reference. But, yeah, he was the one who invented their whole philosophy of life. And Kirk and Kirk's just like, who's this Joker? <laughs> right. You 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 useless. And he kind of was useless. Yeah, he was. All he would use was as a snare. I think this episode may have informed my my early. You know, it may have actually been the the genesis of my you dislike uh, for pacifism. My dislike for pacifism <laughs> because I can remember as a kid, Randy and I would always just like fist pump and love it so much. When he marches off to do his his wussifus duties there, and then they immediately put him to death. We always used to like, like, good. That's what you get for being a wuss. You'd be a pacifist, and you're <laughs> in in ten minutes you're dead, and there's a Klingon imitating your voice. <laughs> now I've heard this episode retroactively, of course, catch a lot of shit because the Kalis that's presented in this doesn't resemble the Kalis that would come later on because Kalis played a big part in... I can't remember if they actually showed him as a person in TNG. I, I can't remember. I think they do, but I, I, I'm struggling to remember. But I know he's in um, DS9, but he plays a, a role in certain episodes of later incarnations of Trek. And of course, when you get him in those later episodes, he's you know he's the crunchy Klingon, you know, he's yeah. the turtlehead Klingon, and that just seems really weird for me that people would criticize this because this obviously came first. It has, can do nothing about it, yeah. Right, and thank God uh, they didn't do anything about it with like the improved edition right. and stuff. Yeah. Which they probably could, actually. They could yeah. probably go back and like, CGI it or something. But I think it makes sense, if you remember, again, that all of these things are pulled from the minds of Kirk and Spock. So if they've never seen one of the crunchy Klingons, then, of course, they're... going to picture they're, them it, like other Klingons. Yeah, exactly. So I think on that level, it makes a certain amount of sense. I always wanted to see more stuff with Colonel Green, because he seemed like he could be really interesting... As a you character over from the Lost in Space set. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that because it's exactly the thought that I had watching this again. I was like, he's one of the few elements in the episode that that truly date it because he comes from kind of that that old school acting style of TV, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard to. Well, he's to, playing the Weedley guy who's like. Yeah, hey, uh, we should team up in this situation uh, and like feeling it all <laughs> out. But he's plotting against everybody. And if he, you know, if they defeated Kirk and those guys, he would have plotted against all the other people on his side too. I just always thought he was an interesting character because, I mean, come on, how many episodes are there of of the original Star Trek? Where, or even with like Next Gen used to do the same thing where, okay, so the original Star Trek series being filmed in the 60s, so there's all these episodes where they refer back to something that happened in the 1960s. Well, you know, back in the 60s, blah, blah, blah. Right. But there's very few episodes where... They make up someone new. They would, well, they would go into their past that was still our future as the viewer. 
And that's one of the things that always really intrigued me about guys like, say, Khan yeah. or or Colonel Green, because they they were in our future. Their and future I history. Get, yeah, exactly. Future history. And I always wanted to get more of that. And off the top of my head, I, I think he's mentioned one or two other times in, again, later iterations of Trek, but I can't recall. Wasn't he like the he initiator of a genocide or something like that something like that yeah he, he, he was, was responsible for a lot of people dying and it's yeah and, something to do with like world war three or the eugenics wars or yeah, something and, like that yeah and it's kind of and it's kind of neat that he's not like a frothing at the mouth he's not a tough guy like khan he's kind right. of a weaselly weedly guy he's still willing to fight i mean he always reminded me a lot of Sinestro for some reason. Season three, you're always guaranteed like a big shot from above fight. And this one is great because <laughs> it's a full out historical fist fight. Right. I mean, just like it, there's no mess. It's just a dun 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 dun. Bam, bam, and off they go. And and in the last episode, Kirk kicked that one guy's helmet off, and this one, Lincoln's hat goes off in the first punch and <laughs> remains off after that. This is another one of those episodes where, you know, Spock has the strength of ten normal men, except when he doesn't. Because he has a hell of a time when he has to wrestle around with the Bride of Frankenstein there. I don't know what that shit's all well, about. Lincoln took on the Klingon, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did. He was whooping the Klingon pretty good. And you know what, Lincoln? What's oh, another thing I noticed is uh, now that we've been watching, you know, these all over with fresh eyes, and we're noted, and we're always noticing how short Shatner and Nimoy are. When you see Lincoln, he ain't much taller than them, so he's probably one of the shortest Lincolns <laughs> that's ever. True. But he's taller than Nimoy and and Kirk, so and plus he put the hat on him, and all of a sudden you got Lincoln. But he he really wasn't he wasn't like a six foot actor, you know what I mean? Right. And that the only problem with the enhanced editions, I could see the makeup on like Lincoln's beard and, and <laughs> stuff like that. But otherwise, I like the. Did you watch the enhanced? Oh version? yeah. I like. Yeah, I thought the the space stuff looked really good. There's not a whole lot that no. is enhanced, but it, it looks good. But the, the way that, that the did. ground came up on the planet and just sort of formed, it looked like a real satellite view of a planet. It was really nice. Um, what was up with that slow mo shot of Lincoln's face, <laughs> just out of nowhere? I have noticed that every single time I've ever watched this, even from when I was a kid, that that has always been in the episode. Almost the like it was fixing knowledge. a problem in the editing or something, because it's yeah. just kind of out of place. It's weird. weird. It's right, isn't it? It's right when uh, Surak screams, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a weird, like slow motion reaction shot or something. It's like they had that was the only shot usable shot they had of Lincoln, so they're like, let's just slow it down. <laughs> <laughs> to, to make it fit, you know, so it looked, it, maybe it didn't look natural. What is up with Scotty and his kilt? <laughs> I thought, like, it wasn't, you know, it, what, you know, Kirk's not dressed up in red, white, and blue, you know, and Spock, as far as I know, isn't in his Vulcan regalia. Right. Yeah, but, but they just have to underline Scotty's background. Scotty's <laughs> a firecracker in this one, man. He's borderline insubordinate. 
He's 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 gr grumbling. I I love how he, he's the only one who'll grumble and gripe about Kirk. And then Kirk will, then Kirk walks in the room. <laughs> I love it. I think the first time I ever heard of Robert the Bruce was because of this episode. Actually, I still don't to this day really know who the hell he is, but <laughs> I heard him on heard about him on Star Trek. I don't know. I don't really have too much else on this episode. It's just it's this is a nice. Uh, it's it's an actioner for one thing, and I think again that's another reason I always liked it is they they do more than just just talk in this one. Yeah, it actually has you know some some real action in it, and I, I love the rapport between Kirk and Lincoln, and it's sad when uh, when Lincoln dies again. And I think Kirk even makes a mention of that at the end of the episode that how hard it was you know for him to to watch Lincoln die again because he was. It was quicker you know, very... the first time. <laughs> it wasn't a spear in the back. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> well, that's pretty much all I got on this one. Um, this this was one that sucked me right in watching it again, so I really didn't take a whole lot of notes. It was more just uh, impressions that I walked away with. Cause I, I just, every time I watch this one, it, it just pulls me right in. I enjoy this one so much. I, I think the acting's really good. I like the music and I, I just, I like the, the little touches throughout the whole thing. I like that Lincoln, you know, at first he's treated very reverently. Of course, you know, he's treated as, you know, his station as president and all that, but the writers remembered that there were, you know, this this was a real person. This was a multifaceted person that had done so much more than just being president. So, you know, there's the remark about, you know, he was a wrestler and stuff. I, I love that, that he could get right in there and tussle with the best of them, that he didn't stand back and, and need to be protected. He got right in there and fought right alongside Kirk. I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, and they also portrayed him as being insanely for his time open-minded he was right. he was he was wrapping his mind around the starship and its operation you know pretty quickly he was you could tell he was like all right abe this is pretty freaking weird <laughs> but you know get a, start getting some information you know and, We're just gonna roll with it. Yeah, right. And and but at the same time, he's feeling out, you know, the Enterprise crew. That you know, they're sort of going through a charade. But at the same time, Kirk is loving it going through the charade. You know, he's like, well, we might as right. well, since this is what's playing out, we might as well. If we're gonna learn anything about it, we might as well go for it. And I think it was, you know, part of Kirk indulging himself too because he he enjoyed it. Yeah, I I really I I'm I'm very happy with a lot of the third season episodes that we've we've seen so far. <laughs> well, that's because we haven't covered a lot that's of the true. really crappy ones yet, too. That's true. Because there's there's some humdingers in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I was kind of as you were talking, I'm kind of just looking at the list of what remains for episodes and. Ooh, it's a mixed bag because I'm thinking. But I'm telling you, there's one. <laughs> oh yeah, there's one in there <laughs> that will be but the it, ultimate. <laughs> it's just looking like 
on the whole, though, is is the, there's more like less desirable than more desirable episodes. Unfortunately, it seems to be skewing that way. So we've dodged a lot of bullets so far. <laughs> well, they're all coming our way eventually. So. <laughs> It's all going to come back round. So I guess with all that cryptic talk, it's time for me to fire up the old uh, the old Star Trek computer here. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's spitting out a low number. This is definitely first season. We probably did this one. Number six? We have done that one. That was Mud's Women. Oh, thank God we don't have to do that again. All right, <laughs> computer, what do you got? 37. 37 is... Oh, no. Bum, bum. Oh, no. All right. Well, you just mentioned Mud's Women. What's the other one? Oh, God. Um, the original I, Mud. Mud. Yeah. No, no. This is the, this is the sequel episode is with it? Mud. It's, yeah, it's I, Mud. I, Mud. Oh, hardcore Fenton Mud. Oh, I hate this episode so much. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, well, this could be fun. Or not. <laughs> oh, but come on, man. One. We're going to have some Kirk computer foo. Uh, oh, not in this one. Uh, at least he dies at the end of the episode. Or at least that's the way I like to remember it anyway. Made in the hamburger. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. 
This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this. <laughs>